0: Right now we're in a series uh, about the wise men. We're talking about the wise men, the magi. And we're talking about how they're teaching us about worship. They're teaching us what it means to worship. They said, and we're taking our story from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And in that story, when you read it, they say to us, they, they minister to us. The Holy Spirit wanted this in there. We have come to worship him. We have come to find Jesus, we are are seeking Jesus, that we might find Jesus for the purpose of worshiping Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing, nothing that pleases God more than your heartfelt worship. He wants that from you more than anything else. And our worship is expressed in the singing we just did, in the worship songs we just sung. I love the new one we just sung, Noel. What a powerful song with powerful words, good theology, good message in that. And I know most of you didn't know that song, but I know it ministered to you, especially at this time of year. And um, so, so they're teaching us about worship, and we see that they followed a star. They followed a star. And uh, it was a supernatural star. It was a star I personally believe didn't even exist before, and God just created it for that moment. I believe that star was brighter and bigger than any other star. And he told the wise men to follow that star. And when they saw the star and when they heard God's voice and they got God's direction... Then they followed that star, and it created in them a desire. It created in them a desire to find him, a desire to worship him. And that's the first thing we talked about, how true worship has to come from a heart of desire. You can't fake it. You can't fake that you love Jesus. You can't fake that you're a worshiper. Uh, Either you're a true worshiper or you're not. And, And in order for you to be a great worshiper, you have to have a desire to worship him. Now, here's what I'd say about that. I would say that if you don't have that desire, ask God Why? Say, God, why don't I have that yearning? Why don't I have that desire? And then pray that God would grant that desire to you. And then we uh, talked about last week their expectation. They had an incredible expectation of what God uh, was going to do. And we talked about how that applies to us. And God does miracles in the hearts and lives of people who have a heart of expectation. So throughout the day, you ought to wake up every morning and go, you know what? I want to encounter God today. It may be a huge thing that that I'm blown away by, or it may be those small, subtle things, that still, small voice. But God, I want to expect, I want to have a heart of expectation that through some action or through some words or through whatever, I will be able to say at the end of the day, that was God, and then later that was God, and later that was God. And you will see God in your life, I promise you. You will see God work in your life when you expect God to work in your life. So that's what we talked about. And I've kind of jumped ahead of the guys here. Uh, if you're going to put something on social media, please use the hashtag, Be a Wise Guy, and then that way we'll all be able to see that. We're talking about the wise men. We're talking about being wise. What does it mean to be wise ourselves? If you want the sermon notes, you know every week we talk about this. There's the email address. We'll be glad to send you the sermon notes. So we're going to talk today about joy, Joy. Joy is the next thing that we're going to see in these wise men that cause them to be able to worship. And here's what I want you to do as it relates to your personal life throughout this message today. I want you to ask yourself, where is my joy level? How high is my joy level? I, I think I've told you guys this before. But I can walk in here and i got to tell you guys, I walk in here every Sunday, and I feel a high joy level in this church. And I love that. But sometimes you guys are like pegging the the meter. You know what I mean? And I'll walk by Jim Gilligan, who's our administrator, and he's looking after everything, making sure everything's running smooth. And I'll go, Jim, the joy level is high today. And I love that. I love it when we come to church and, you know, we're going through tough things in our life. I mean, you're going through, really, some of you guys are going through unspeakable Difficulty. You're going through some dark, dark places in your life. You're a believer, but you're struggling in the area of joy. And I want to clear something up for you that might help you. Happiness and joy are not the same thing, they're not the same thing at all. Now, I've given you guys this illustration before, but I want to give it to you again, real quick. Happiness is based on what's the root word of happiness? Happen. Happiness is based on what happens. So it's kind of like a thermometer. If you walk into a room and you want to know what the temperature is, you look at the thermometer and it tells you what the temperature is. It tells you what the circumstances are. It tells you what the environment is. It doesn't change anything, it just tells you. And that's how happiness is. You know, a lot of people, when you see them and they're happy, you know because you know them, you know their personality, you kind of know where they are with God. And when you see them, you, you're, you're automatically thinking, well, something good must have what? Happened, because they're happy. Because you know that same person, and you see them later, and they're not very happy, so you assume something bad must have happened. So our happiness level, and, and I'm like all the rest of you, we're all the same, whether we're believers or unbelievers. When good stuff happens, I am happier. And with bad, when bad stuff happens, I'm not as happy. I mean, that's just human nature. But here's what joy is joy comes from God. And joy is not about what's on the outside, joy is about what's on the inside. And joy is like a, th- a thermostat, it, it sets the temperature. If you walk into a room and it's cold, you just move the thermostat to warm and it warms up. You just move it back to cooler and it cools down. See, it's your relationship with God that determines your joy. And the church said, amen. Amen. I hope that illustration helps to clear it up for you just a little bit. I got to pause right here and recognize somebody. Good to see you, Mike. God bless you, man. Mike uh, had a terrible accident and has been out of circulation for a while. A lot of you guys know him. Just a great Bible teacher, one of our Bible teachers here at the church. And uh, let's give it up for Mike. We're glad you're back, buddy. (laughs) I don't know how comfortable you are today, but you're here, man, and I've got a long sermon. I'm sorry. I I want to apologize for that right off the bat. Actually, that's not true. Uh, I've got a a really brief Y'all know who I am, real short. Um, John Piper gives a great definition of joy, because in my research I wanted to find a really good definition of joy, and I have a lot of respect for John Piper. He's wrong about a couple of things. I intend to talk to him about that, but other than that, he's a great theologian. No, John Piper's a great theologian, great man of God. He has a website that I um, uh, subscribe to uh, where he sends out updates. Uh, It's a, a blog type thing called Desiring God. I don't know if it's .com or .org, but I would suggest you get plugged into that. It's uh, really, really good stuff. But here's what John Piper, how many of you know John Piper? You know about John Piper. Good, good. Here's what he says about joy. And I didn't put this on a slide because I kind of came across it at the end of my uh, research time, my end of my sermon preparation, so it didn't get on a slide. So I want you to listen to this. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? When I read that, I thought this. This was my thought. I wish I would said that. That is a great, simple way. Let's, let's, let me just read it again. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he, the Holy Spirit, causes us to see the beauty of Christ in his word and in the world around us. That's what God wants for you. Well, how do we know these wise men were so joyful? Well, let's look at verse 10. We're in Matthew chapter 2, as I told you earlier. And let's look at verse 10. It says, when they, the wise men that is, Saw the star, they were, everybody say it. Overjoyed. I love the King James Version on this one. It says, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, these wise men, and I told you this in the first sermon, these wise men were brilliant men. They were, they were, um, they were scientists really of their day. They, they just uh uh, were highly educated, probably the most highly educated men uh, in that culture, and and it just blesses me to see these nerdy guys. I'm just thinking they were nerdy. What well, what do y'all think? And I just and they are because a lot of times people who are very very intelligent, very very smart, their emotions kind of stay in check all the time. That's why I'm very emotional. I'm dumb as a rock. So that's why I'm very emotional. But a lot of times, you know, people who are very, very intelligent, a lot of times their emotions are really in check. But it says here, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I mean, I think they kind of did like a nerd dance, you know, and kind of jumped around a little bit. I mean, they saw the star, and they had already heard the stars coming, and it's going to lead you to Jesus. And they saw it, and the Bible says they were overjoyed, exceedingly great joy. So they expressed it. It appears here, in order for the writer to be able to write this, it appears that they publicly express their joy, that they openly express their joy. Now, we're talking about worship, and we're talking about the fact that joy is one of the foundations of a genuine, true worship life. So when you look at that and you think about it, you go, so if I'm a worshiper And if I'm going to show joy, then what you're saying, Pastor, is I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do certain things so people will know I'm joyful. Listen, that's not what I'm saying at all. As a matter of fact, here's what I'd say when it comes to you worshiping, when it comes to you expressing, expressing joy, your joy. Of the Lord, you know, one of my favorite stories, and I use this illustration all the time because it fits in so many sermons, but it's like Mary when she was at the feet of Jesus. And she was just listening to him. She was thinking about how good he had been to her. She was thinking about what he was worth to her. She was thinking about how uh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. She, and Lazarus was her brother. And she was just thinking about all that. And she just ran to the room and got the spike nerd and broke it and just poured it all over Jesus. That was her expression. That was her expression of worship. That was her expression of joy. Now, that's how Mary did it. But you you worship based on your personality. You know, you might see somebody worship in a certain way and you might and you might and they might be very outward with it and cuz I am, you guys, when I'm able to stand up here on the front uh row and you're watching me worship, I know some of you probably <laughs> I'm a distraction cuz I move around and I'm clapping and and I I don't have much of this, you know, but I can get jiggy with it when I need to. And so And so I'm worshiping, and you guys might look at that and go, well, that's what Pastor Farrell wants me to do. That's wrong. I want you to worship based on your personality. Don't look at the way somebody else worships and go, okay, that's what that is, and I really admire that person, and I know they're a great Christian, so I need to do what they do. In other words, don't create a Christian cliche of yourself. Be who you are. Does that make sense? Now, now, that goes both ways. Those of us who are outward sh- should not criticize people who are a little more reserved, and those who are reserved shouldn't criticize those who are a little more outward. Amen? So up in this house, we worship God how we feel led to worship God. Isn't that right? And so you're going to see some people really get with it, and you're going to see some other people who are a little more reserved. You know what matters? What matters? Come on. What matters? What matters? The heart, what's on the inside. That's where worship comes from. Now, the Bible does talk about lifting hands. The Bible talks about clapping. The Bible talks about um, musical instruments, but don't bring any of those with you and play them out here. Uh, Come on, amen, amen. If you got a tambourine, play that thing at home, baby. Play that thing at home all you want to. Tear it up, but leave it at the house, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. You go, I play a banjo, please. Leave that at the house. You worship God there. Are y'all with me? So, the Bible talks about outward worship, and I'll tell you, I think God would say to us, maybe you are reserved, but once in a while just lift your hands up in honor of God. You don't have to you don't have to wave them like you're landing an airplane, some people do. You know, I don't know if y'all have seen uh, the guy, the comedian, what's his name, Tim Hawkins, who shows the different ways you can worship. That's a hilarious uh, video. I'd encourage you to go home and look that up. I know some of y'all got your phones and iPads out now. Please don't look it up right now, please. Because I'll be saying something that you should be crying about, and you'll be sitting there laughing, and that just won't look right. So don't look it up. But Tim Hawkins does this thing, and he talks about the different levels of worship. You know, so, so I would challenge you. If you're very very quiet, or maybe you came from a church, or you came from an environment where it's more reserved, you know it's more open here. So just you know, just lift your hands, Uh, praise God with a voice that you can hear, that you hear yourself to it. Just kind of stretch yourself in worship, and uh, God is pleased with that. God enjoys that. So let's uh, let's move on now. Go to go to go with me. It's going to be on the screen. The book of John. Let's look at the book of John. Let's look at chapter 15 and verse 11. One of the most powerful things Jesus ever said, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible about joy. Let's look at what Jesus said about it. So Jesus had spoken some things to them, and you can read that in the previous verses. And in verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you, I love this, that my joy, Not just joy, but my joy may remain where? In you, the joy of Jesus in me. He said, I want my joy to be in you, and I also desire that your joy may be what? Full. How powerful is that? Matter of fact, that brings me to several things I want to say about joy, and then I'm done. First of all, the foundation of joy The foundation of joy is in that verse we just read. The foundation of joy is when he says, I want you to be joyful, and the highest quality of joy you can possibly have is if I put my joy inside of you. Because really, joy apart from Jesus really isn't joy. It's happiness. It's what happens you know, if you got a big bonus at Christmas, you're happy. If you didn't get one, you might not be so happy. Um, But if you have the joy of the Lord, if your relationship with God is intact, if it is up to date, if it is healthy, if you are spending time with him, not just at church, at gatherings like this, but in your daily life and in your quiet life, you make sure that your walk with God is healthy. You make sure that your walk with God, uh, you have, Uh, allowed the Holy Spirit to do that spiritual checkup, just like your doctor does a physical checkup. You allow the Holy Spirit to be constantly doing a spiritual checkup in your life, and your walk with God is intact. Your walk with God is up to date. Your walk with God is intimate. And I want to just really challenge you right there, guys, because I think sometimes we think just being here, that's it. And thank you for being here. We want you to be here. But I don't just want you to be here so I can say we have this many in church uh, this weekend. I want you to be here because I want you uh, to learn how to have intimacy with Jesus. Your relationship with the bridge is going to give you maybe some happiness. But only your relationship with Jesus is going to give you joy. And so he says, I want to to have such a relationship with you. I want to have such a nearness with you that your joy is founded on me. That the foundation of your joy has nothing to do with you or what's going on in your life, but it has to do with your intimacy with me. I want my joy to be in you. And you know what I say to that? Thank you, Jesus, and what a great Christmas gift that is for me to be able to have such a relationship with him that his joy is in me. You know, it's really like the holiness, the purity that makes a person able to go to heaven because the righteousness that enables you to go to heaven when you die is not your righteousness. You don't have enough righteousness to get you there. You can't get to heaven on your righteousness. What does the Bible say about your righteousness? It is as what? Filthy rags. You ought to do a word study on that filthy rags. It's really filthy. I mean, if you go back and do a word study on that, it actually deals with uh, bandages that were put onto uh, people who had leprosy and, and that kind of filth. That is as good as we can do on our own. When Jesus said, when the Word of God says, your righteousness is like that. In other words, what he's saying is that's all you can come up with apart from me. But when you come to me, when you surrender to me, when you allow me to adopt you into the family and you become a follower of mine, he says, then here's what I do. I impart to you my righteousness And when you stand before God on judgment day, he doesn't even see you and your righteousness because that wouldn't work for you. He sees my righteousness. The salvation that God gives to us through the death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, that salvation, that purity, that is the only holiness, that is the only level of purity that will allow you into heaven. And I want you to hear this. It is a total gift. It is a gift to you. You can't do enough good things that when you stand before God one day, he's going to go, wow, look at all the good things he did. Surely he gets to come in. I mean, we preach a lot of funerals like that, don't we? When we do funerals, have you ever heard pastors do funerals? And they're talking about all the good things about this person, and I think you ought to do that. But you should not imply in a funeral that just because a person did a lot of good things that that makes them ready for heaven. It does not. What makes you ready for heaven is when you receive Christ and his righteousness is put on you, given to you. You are covered in his righteousness and it is a pure gift. That is the foundation of your joy, is that God doesn't just let good things happen to you so you'll be happy. He imparts to you his joy. He puts his joy in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Merry Christmas. Uh, The second thing I want to see here, and I guess my points may be a little weak here that I came up with, but I thought about joy, not only the foundation of it, but the strength. You know what? Joy, when you have the joy of the Lord, again, doesn't necessarily change circumstances, but it gives you strength to walk through them. And I know what some of you are going through, and I know what some of you are facing, and I know what some of you are dealing with, And I know you need all the strength you can get right now. And what I would say to you is that there is no greater strength than that inward joy, the joy of Jesus that he puts into your heart. The enemy loves it when we lose our joy. The enemy loves it when we lose our joy because when we lose it, and as a Christian, you can lose your joy, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. You can still lose your joy and still be a Christian, and he loves it when we lose it, and the reason he loves it is because we are not as powerful. We are not as strong in God. We are weak. We are susceptible. We become open to his attacks. Our armor becomes porous, and the enemy is able to have an effect on us. Supernatural joy does not come from perfect circumstances. Here's what joy comes from. It comes from that intimacy with God and the knowledge that he loves you. He loves you. You know what? When you don't know anything else, you know this. Jesus loves me. This I know. How many of you go through times when you feel like that's the only thing you really know? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So joy, true joy, comes from the knowledge of knowing He loves you. It comes from the knowledge of knowing that He has a very particular plan for you and purpose for your life, and He, uh, you have the joy of knowing that you're going to eventually be with Him forever in heaven. That's our blessed hope. I mean, when you look around this world, listen, it's all temporary. It's all going away. Everything you see around you one day won't be there, but one thing will be there, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ that will carry you into eternity with him in heaven. Who's counting on that? I'm counting on that. I'm counting on that. Even when tears of pain are flowing down your cheeks, you can have the joy of the Lord in your heart. One writer said this, and I love it. The joy Jesus gives is steadfast in sorrow, triumphant in tribulation, and abundant in affliction. I, saw, I told somebody out in the foyer today, somebody who's been through unspeakable suffering, unspeakable pain, and not only has she been through it, uh, her husband has been through it, and he is still in it, but he's getting better. And that's what she was telling me today, that she's getting better, he's getting better. And I just thought about how, and I told her this in the foyer. I said, here's the thing about you guys. The way you suffered and the way you still are suffering, that is the thing that gets the attention of unbelievers. Listen to me. When Christians suffer well, when Christians suffer well, when Christians have joy in the fire, it sounds like at the Christmas Eve service, you might get a chance for some of that. Um, but when you go through the fire, when you go through the storm, but you suffer well, there's nothing, there isn't a sermon in the world that has the impact on unbelievers that a Christian who is suffering in joy has on them. Because that's when they realize, now that's something I don't have. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. So that's the strength of joy. And then I want to talk to you about the, uh, I couldn't think of a better word, the abundance of joy. And I love it where Jesus says that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Here, here's what I just want to say about joy, about that, is, is his joy is plenty. His joy is enough to get you through it. No matter what's happening in your life. Other things can give you joy in an area of your life, but unless you have joy in Jesus, your joy is not full. We hear a lot about and I even preached a series on this. I believe it was last year or the year before, how that at the holiday times there's so much depression. There's so much discouragement. A lot of times people get really high during the season and during the holidays, but boy the moment it's over, they they drop. And the reason that happens is because the joy they have isn't real joy. It's that happiness, the abundance of joy. Listen, what Jesus said, what did he say? The fullness of joy is only in him. I want you to look at this verse right here. And when I found this verse, I almost saved it because this is a pastor's dream. This is a preacher's dream. This is a verse that has three points. Hallelujah. 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 So I want you to look at this. This is one of the most powerful verses. Take this verse with you during this holiday. Look what it says, talking about God. And those of you who aren't believers, hear this, hear this. You, God, will show me the way of life. How many of you know that's true? God will show you not just the way of life, but the way of what? Eternal life. You, God, will show me the way of life. And Look at the three things. You're going to grant me the joy of your presence. That's in the now. That's in the right now. And the pleasures of living with you forever. So he's, number one, going to show you the way of life. Number two, when you accept that into your life, when you accept what he's shown you, then he's going to grant you the joy of his presence now. And then he's going to grant you the pleasures of living with him in the hereafter. Isn't that awesome? That's where our joy comes from. Paul calls it, Paul said it's called, uh, he referred to it as the blessed hope. And then, you know, there's another place in Scripture where it says, if your hope is only in this world, if your joy is only based in this world, he said, you are of all men most miserable. So the only true joy comes from intimacy with him. Let me give you the last thing in closing. Glory to God. Here it comes, the key to joy. What is the key? Even though this joy is available to us, not every Christian has it. How many of you know that's true? How many of y'all met some Christians, like I've told you before, look like they got baptized in vinegar? (laughs) Amen. You seen that? Look like they got baptized in lemon juice? And they say, I'm a Christian, but I want to make something clear to you. And you know what? This is not going to be news to you, but it might help you to hear me say it because you've often wondered, how can that be? You can be a Christian and still be miserable. As a matter of fact, let me tell you who the most miserable person in the world is. The most miserable person in the world is not a person who doesn't know Christ. The most miserable person in the world is a person who has received Christ, but they're out of fellowship with Christ. They've strayed away. They're in the cold. Here's why you're most miserable. If you're a Christian, but you've gotten away from God. You say, well, I mean, you can be a Christian and stray away and lose your joy. What did David say after his sin with Bathsheba? What did he say in Psalm 51 when he was repenting of his sin? He said, Jesus, Lord, not Jesus, but God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore unto me my salvation. He said, I got that, but Lord, I have lost my joy. I've lost my joy. I've got salvation, but I've lost my joy. We know another place in the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 75 where the Bible says Peter was a follower of Jesus, but he got away from Jesus. Matter of fact, the scripture even describes him as following Jesus afar off. You can follow Jesus afar off. And the Bible says because of that, Even though he was a believer, the Bible says he still went out into the wilderness and wept bitterly. So the point I want to make to you this morning is that you can be a Christian and still be a very miserable person. So why is it that Christians who have gotten out of fellowship with God are the most miserable? I don't really know a great way to explain that other than to say this. Because you've tasted him. You've tasted Jesus. You know, I don't know, I, I've, I've quit eating all that stuff, but I remember back in the day when I could eat anything I wanted to. How many of y'all remember those days? And now all i got to do is walk by something and I gained three pounds. Who's with me? <clears throat> but Breyer's ice cream. Now, now I'm talking about Breyer's ice cream like 1980, 82. There really wasn't, there are a lot of other different kind of ice creams, but Breyer's ice cream had butter almond. Sweet Moses. Man, that was good stuff, buddy. And look, you could go, well, I'm not going to pay the extra that you have to pay for briars. I'm just going to get the Win dixie brand. Who remembers Win dixie <clears throat> How many of y'all know Win dixie can't make no briars ice cream? So here's the deal. Once you've tasted the best, nothing will satisfy you after that. And once you've tasted Jesus, it doesn't matter if you make a whole bunch more money. It doesn't matter if you get a big old promotion on your job. It doesn't matter if somebody leaves you a big inheritance. I could name a whole bunch of good things that could happen to you. It doesn't matter what happens to you. If you're a child of God and you're away from God, nothing tastes like Jesus nothing will satisfy you like Jesus and so he says here that the key to joy and I believe the key to joy really and I know we're kinda jumping around here today in the Bible and I usually do expository but I want to just show you this first look at John 15 and look at verse 5 here's the key to joy yes I am the vine I am the trunk I am the trunk of the tree. I am the vine. You, Bridge, Feral Hardison, you are the what? We're the branches. Those vines, those of you who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. Did you know joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit? The only way you can have joy is if you remain in him. And he remains in you. That's talking about that intimacy, that closeness. And then he nails it in this last sentence. He says, I want you people at the bridge to know something. I want Farrell Hardison to know something. I want the bridge staff to know. I want the bridge uh, elders to know. apart from me, you can do nothing. Give your, give your life. You, you want to give Jesus. And we're going to talk about the gifts that we can give Jesus at Christmas Eve. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But you want to give him the best gift? Just give him you. Just stop pushing back. Stop saying, well, you know, I know I used to do this, and I used to be really close and all that, and I can't do that anymore. But hey God, I got this big race, I'm going to give you extra money. God goes, you know what? I don't want your obe- I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want you to give me something. Instead of you, I want you to give me you. I want your obedience. I want you to yield yourself to me. That's when joy is going to kick in. That's when you're going to get off that roller coaster of up and down happiness. And you're going to get into that joy that is sustained, that is consistent, that is contagious. And God wants you to have that because it's the greatest witness of the believer. The joy of the Lord in the middle of a storm. Let's all stand together, would you?